Okay, here we go. Episode 91 of the Zach Kuhn Show. And the first episode of season number three. Can't believe we've made it. Here we are. And in order to kick off this new season, we have an amazing guest, actually, Mike Errico, who is a professor of songwriting at colleges like Yale, Wesleyan, Oberlin, and NYU's Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music. He's got a new book out, Music, Lyrics, and Life, a field guide for the advancing songwriter. This is actually a really great read. There's some great interviews here with Paul Stanley, with some rock and roll legends, Shane McAnally of Nashville, of course. And uh, he interviews a wheelmaker as well and a fly fisherman. And he ties it all into songwriting. Really interesting, really fun perspective here. Easy read, really easy read and very informative. This is kind of one of those books that you're, you're probably going to quote in your life. So uh, there's some real value here. You're going you're gonna to pull a quote from here and you're going to use it at dinner. I think we got to get into it. Here we go. The first episode of season number three of the Zach Hune Show. Mike Errico, let's dive in. I was just watching this video of you actually playing uh-huh. uh, You Shook Me All Night Long. Oh, yeah. Live from Joe. Is, do you do that regularly? Do you, is that usually part of your set? This acoustic kind of Americana Wilco-y uh, You Shook Me All Night Long. Do, 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 you, do you always have that in the set? Um, not always, but... Um often i have been doing it for for a while yeah i mean i put it in you know in six eight acdc is one of my favorite bands so really uh and that's one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite bands so i needed a way to like do it also but i can't sing like brian johnson so did so they I hit it at the right life. time why do you love acdc uh lyrically i mean because it's funny when you sang that i was like this is actually a great song lyrically this is actually it's a really good song right well yeah I mean, it's, it's funny for the it's first funny. thing. A lot of ACDC stuff is funny. Um, if you listen, um, and, uh, I just, I love, uh, the drive, you know, the guitar, I love guitar music, you know? So, uh, the, you know, Angus and Malcolm, the two, the brothers who were, uh, who comprised the guitar section of, uh, of ACDC are just, they're just an amazing team, you know? So I really love, uh, I've always loved them. I really like in this video, you go, uh, you know, I, I met this girl. There's always a girl. And everyone's like, oh, golf claps. And you go, she was from Cleveland, Ohio. And everyone goes, oh, Cleveland. And you're in like Joe's pub in New York. <laughs> Why do people love hearing geography locations in songs? It's like a weird thing, right? <laughs> I know. It's It 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 sets the crowd up completely. It, it, it uh, gives everybody a chance to yell for the home team, you know? Um, and Cleveland is sort of like, I don't know, Cleveland is uh, sort of an underdog town, Which, not, not on purpose. But I mean, I don't think it's justifiable, but like, you know, uh, it, it is sort of an underdog town. So it's funny, like, though, like when, you, like when you see Billy Joel at the Garden, the biggest moments are when he drops like uh, Brooklyn or like a, oh, a yeah. location in New York. That's when the crowd, they love <laughs> to know, they love to hear where they are. <laughs> I know. It's weird. It, uh, yeah. Um, and it's, it's hilarious. You know, there's, there are jokes about people who've gotten it wrong, you know, in, in real arena shows or whatever. It's like, Hey, Detroit, you're not in Detroit, you know, like, right. That's, that's always faster. That's yeah. always bad. Um, you know, I was looking on your Instagram before this, and hmm. this is probably obvious to everyone who knows you, but I don't really, you know, we've recently connected. I don't really know you yeah. that well. I was looking at your Instagram and I was like, you know, Mike's a really great guitar player can really play. <laughs> And then there's this video of you playing some pedal steel licks and doing some steel bends, very Western yeah. swing, but you're like from Long Island. And yeah. I, I relate to this because I grew up in Westchester and oh. I was so into pedal steel guitar while all my friends were learning Jimi Hendrix and Jimmy Page. And yeah. they thought I was so weird learning these pedal steel licks that I was so into. Was that, were you into this stuff when you were young? Was this your experience growing up in Long Island? Um. Yeah, I mean, I I got in. It's weird. I I feel like I got into pedal steel through like shoegaze kind of stuff because like it's a little. It's very very creepy if you don't make pedal steel guitar really sound country and go really into creepy world. Um, it's the creep. It's like very David Lynch, you know, very Twin Peaks, very all of that kind of thing. Um. So like that kind of thing I got into um, 
you, uh, th those sort of classic rock bands you're talking about. Um, David Gilmore from Pink Floyd actually was a lap steel player. He plays uh, lap steel on uh, yeah a, a couple Floyd songs. Yeah, and like it's really and he plays kind of the guitar like it's a like it's a lap steel too. So. Um, I like the creepy stuff and I also love again just guitar and like country guitar is amazing. Uh you know, I was like more rock oriented but I was still taking guitar lessons so the guy was trying to push me into jazz and all this kind of thing. So I tried some of that and there are some country guitar players and rockabilly guitar players who throw a lot of jazz in um like danny gatton is a great one brian setzer from the straight cats is from long island right, right. So, and like that kind of stuff is funny it has like it it actually sounds funny to me like it has like a real sense of humor it's you know it's not tool you know what i mean it's like uh and i really i just really respond to it so anytime i get some of that sort of guitar stuff it's really um i don't know i, I I, I investigated the Django Reinhardt love. The Danny Gann stuff, like the redneck jazz that amazing. he called it amazing. Yeah. And yeah. for me, I, I, like, I feel like when jazz was, I couldn't approach jazz. It was very, you know, I couldn't get into it, but all that country jazz stuff is like, I just got it. It made sense. I think because it was just in the structure that I understood of it was in this rock structure this rock box yeah but it, but it just spread out a little bit playing very innovative you know in a very innovative way with the steel bends yeah. and the open string licks and then yeah. you throw in a chromatic line or something you know it was just very approachable from yeah. a, from a listening point for yeah. me it's funny one time like way a, a long time ago i managed to see a show and it was steve morse from the dixie drags or the drags uh, i was now in deep purple but like was like real like has so much country in him uh opening for alan holsworth who was like one of these like super shredder like like probably like the shredder you know what i mean um and steve morris was so much more entertaining like the licks are so much more entertaining and he was like and that makes me feel like country music is like it has the crowd in mind you know it's entertaining whereas like the Holsworth stuff is just blinding and like I am lost and like the sense of being lost is just like I don't even know where we are like where's the know. one where's the root yeah. I, don't even, I don't know anything I don't know what that is with um like Danny Gadden how he would always take the beer bottle and play slide and then he yeah. would take the towel and clean his guitar with the towel but he would be percussive with the towel it's like yeah. the most entertaining shit ever but like I don't think you'd ever see a blues guy or a sh like a shredder not take themselves that seriously like he he always had a had like a twinkle in his eye with the audience or there was always an inside joke yeah. between him and the audience right that i think yeah. a lot of other types of genres of players don't really have is that fair to say a uh, completely i i think country players are showmen you know uh and uh even if they're like you know not like super shredding whatever like chris isaac or something like he'll still come out with like sparkles and spangles all over him you know or like uh you know i love it or like i don't know just all, all those types of guys brad paisley like th those guys like have their showmen whereas like the blues guys like it's a little bit grittier you know i mean i've been out with and toured with a bunch of them and like yeah it's a lot more like it's a different relationship to the art form you know it's it's heavier yeah i went to school in boston and i feel like where i went to berkeley college of music and i feel like i was the only one there that was in the country or who really respected these players and these uh songwriters wait where you teach in new york nyu yale wesleyan are are the students in the country do you find are they into the country songwriters or are they mostly into the pop charts or what like what, what are people into is that a fair question yeah yeah um you know if you were to put a big circle uh around it like um there is about an 80% situation where it's like pop or uh, yeah, it would really be pop. Um, and then there are like sort of three little, and there are just like a couple of orbiting uh, genres. Country is one, there's always one or two really brilliant country players or, or writers. Jack Schneider is one. Madeline Paquette is another. She just won the John Lennon songwriting. Was Jack uh, Schneider, was he a student of yours? I guess that makes sense, right? Cause absolutely. he, yeah. 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 
Amazing um, guitar player, also, by the way. Great guitar player, wonderful guy. Um, was a little bit of a sore thumb out there in, uh, in NYU, but, like, he was just so good that he found his people, you know? Uh, Lily Ryder is an amazing writer. Um, anyway, th- there are those. Then there's, like, the producers. There's the hyper-pop people. There's the rappers. Like, that's kind of the thing. And a few EDM, you know, like, real dance floor earth shakers you will know? you ever bring in like a country reference or a country song to look at and do and do it like the pop writers roll their eyes and they go what what is this what they mike's completely it. lost it they hate it um you know just to make sure that we are on target with what the structures are that's that are going on i'll go to the billboard top 100 and we'll look at it and every once in a while you know it's like this semester walker hayes had fancy like Right. And they were like, no, no, don't put it on. And I'm like, it's, listen, it's, it's in the top five. I'm not picking it. The people, you know, are picking it, you know, so we're going to listen to it. We're going to check it out. We're going to do that. Um, I remember another one uh, a couple years back, it was just ubiquitous. It was BB Rexa and Florida Georgia Line did meant to be that song it was on the charts. I had to do it like for three semesters because it was there. It just stayed there. Um, it's one of four country songs to ever be certified diamond and Chris Stapleton just had the, uh, the fourth certification, but massive. But when you look at a song like fancy, like, what are you, what are you getting out of it? Or what are you telling the students about that song? Well, it's all the stuff that you see going on. There is all the stuff that you see going on in Olivia Rodrigo in, you know, BTS and uh, Coldplay or Justin Bieber, Kid Leroy, whatever, all those types of things. I try to get them to be agnostic about form and understand that the innovation is going to come from their their own voices, their personal voices. And Walker Hayes has a humongous voice, you know, like I mean, I like an artistic voice. Um, so it was like fancy, like Applebee's on the you know Friday night and all that kind of stuff. It's like there's no mistaking where it's coming from, you know, which artist it's coming from, and that's really the most you can ask for uh, from like a two to three minute pop song. It's like real identity planting a flag and knowing like i love it or i hate it but i'm not on the fence you know so that makes it a huge uh uh victory for as far as i'm concerned in the class i mean it's like it's a great success i think and it's kind of like this brand defining song oh it really tells you who walker hayes is as you mentioned in your book it's the rock and roll all night party every day for walker hayes it's his rock and roll all night sure it's the maybe Uh, he's got a couple i mean he does have a couple he does what is the i've heard you say that um it's your job to come into the classroom and to be the biggest idiot so that your students can i guess be more idiotic or stretch out more or feel like this is a safe space what does that mean how do you create that environment well you know it's art right so then art is very vulnerable and so people are nervous Right, uh, and which makes sense. Uh, on top of that, it's an art. Uh, Clive is an art school, and Yale is also very artsy. Uh, and so there's a relationship that the students have with each other that is a little bit. It's not really competitive yet, but it's like a little bit like, am I cool? Am I this? Am I that? So the the first thing I think that helps these students do something creative is to lower the bar on what's cool in the room. And, and so if it's not gonna be them, it sometimes is them, but if it's not gonna be them, it's gonna be me. And I'm, gonna, and I'm the perfect foil, I think, for that because um, I feel like I kind of have the least to lose in the room <laughs> and the most to gain for people rolling their eyes, laughing, relaxing, loosening up and taking real chances, you know? And that totally happens. And um, that's the exciting thing. It's not when like people are like, like a Gatling gun and they're just like hit, 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 you know, whatever they're doing, song, 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 song. But instead going like, I tried something a little different today and everyone might hate me, uh, but sorry. You know what I mean? That kind of song is, can be the breakthrough for them. 
how, how do you create that environment though? Like, will you come in and play a song of yours? That's a little bit out no, there and, no. or like, like how do you create that energy of I'm the biggest idiot. So now you can be, you, you can stretch out. These are your words, by the way, I've heard you say this. This is, I know, I know. how do you come in and act? You're, you're, first of all, you're, you're obviously, you're probably the, the brightest person in the room or the most well-versed <laughs> on songwriting. You're not the biggest idiot, but how are you creating this impression that like I'm loose so you can be loose? Where, yeah. like, what is that? Well, it's really, um, how's your day? How's your day, man? You, you, I, you know, I, what, what'd you do today? Whatever. Have you watched to get back the Beatles documentary? Oh. What'd you, think? you know what I mean? It's just, just start a conversation and, um, you know, and if you think about your day, there's always a little something that's just like, what? Like, you know, there's just, and just that a little headcock kind of thing can loosen people up, start the talking. Uh, because if you don't do that, it can be uh, a morgue. It can really, they, they'll just wait, you know, they'll wait until somebody else cracks. Are you a so, first name professor? Does everybody call you Mike? I feel like that's, or do they call you professor? They kind of do. I let them call me whatever. And it kind of makes me laugh when they call me professor. So I'm like, yeah, you should definitely call me professor. <laughs> <laughs> you should call me sir, I think works too, you know. Um, but yeah, there is a mic thing to it, I guess. That, I feel like whenever I meet a songwriter, you can really tell kind of quickly, like, is this person going to be a good songwriter? Is this, is this person authentic? You kind of get this vibe of like, is this person the right reasons? And then they play and like more often than not, I'm always kind of right when I meet someone about how good of a songwriter they're going to be. You kind of get this weird like gut instinct. Yeah. I'm curious if you get that too, but I'm also curious how many people like on the first day do you just go, oh, this person doesn't have it or, or you know, doesn't seem to have it. And then how often do they end up getting it by the end of, or, you know, over time you go, this person's worked really hard and, you know, now they're like a songwriter. Like, do you see that evolution or is it really hard? Like if you don't see that spark, is it hard to, to ever get it? No, I mean, I really do. I go, it's kind of the other way. It's like, if something is really rough and I ask them to bring in rough things, you know? So if it's really rough, I mean, it'll end and I'll be like, all right, okay. We can work with it. We can work with anything, right? But like, on the other hand, sometimes you'll just hear a song and it, will, it might not even be done or whatever, but it has a shape and an intent and an internal logic that's like, you, you, I mean, it's like, this class is not for you to learn. This class is for you to stockpile, right? So I'm going to grade you on how many songs uh, you're going to be able to get out in this time. And I will just, uh, you know, I'm like a fitness instructor for them, you know, just like raising the, raising the bar, raising the bar, putting the weights on the, <laughs> on the, you know, barbell or whatever. Um, and that, that does happen sometimes. Um, and everything in between, you know, people who, you know, I mean, uh, oftentimes Clive has, you know, has a good uh, population of post reality show singers like X Factor, like The Voice, uh, the uh, American Idol from other countries, uh, you know, China, Philippines, France, you know, like, and so those folks have these crazy voices but that's not the same as being a writer you know so then those kind of folks also are like trying to muscle an awesome song by blowing everybody out of the room with their voices that's another thing and you're like okay i can work with that too you know but that's it, it, it's everything like that you know it's really fun it's really fun the first day is like what but to answer your second half of your question um, does it change over the course of the semester? Absolutely. By week 13 and 14, we're like crying, you know, like it worked, you know, and like it works, you know, like I just did, yeah, I'm not even listening anymore for anything. I'm just sort of like hanging out. Like I'm just, you know, on my couch with a cup of coffee and I'm reading a book and like this beautiful things coming out of the speakers, you know, like that's how you, that's when you, when it's effortless is when you know, you know, that it's like that we're done, you know? Yeah, and right. We just finished the semester here. So I'm like still, you know, kind of, I kind of buzz off that at the end. That was the one cl songwriting class I took in college. The, uh, the professor said, if you want to get an A in this class, turn 30 songs by the end of the semester. 
And he was like, if you want to get a B, turn this many songs, a C, turn this many. He was like, that, that was the only grading criteria right. that, that there was in that class. And he That's was like, I'm right. just going to listen to make sure they're there. I'm not going to judge the content. Who was that? Ben Camp at, uh, at Berkeley College of Music. Sure. And, um, and he gave this example of how he, he like referenced the study, how there was like two groups of art students. The and they said one group, is this a famous study? They're like, one group had to make one great thing by the yeah. end of the semester. And then the other group yeah. had to make 30 great things. Yes. Or, you know, but they, and the group that did 30 things ended up making better. Everything was better than the one thing that this group made. Yes. Was I butchered that I'm sure, but is, no, is that, it, what is that? Is that a famous story? What is that? It, well, I don't know if it's famous, but I know it. it's, uh, I think it's from a book called art and fear. And uh, it's a pottery class. And the guy was like, half of you have to make one absolutely perfect pot. And the rest of you have to make as many pots as you possibly can. And I will judge you on the one side. I'll judge you on quality. On the other side, I'm going to judge you on output. And the output people did better quality. Always. That's yeah. the, yeah, yeah, which is which is an interesting thing, which I always think about. It's like, you gotta yeah, I just keep creating. That's yeah. The yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny. I, I've been thinking about this recently about students who come up with a song and they come into class and they have a disclaimer and the disclaimer is like, I'm sorry, man, I, I wrote this in like five minutes. And like, that does not mean anything. You know, to me, it's like, it took your whole life plus five minutes. But the fact that it came out fast and was easy, maybe a, not that you're lazy, it's that you are closer to your center and you, you found something that was easy to do. And like a lot of people will, uh, discount or discredit things that are easy because they think it's supposed to be hard. You know, when when those are easy and they hit or whatever, <laughs> a songwriter will never stop talking about them. Be like, this one day it just came to me. It was like, a, what? I, and they'll just talk about it for the next fifty years, um, because it is kind of magical. But also, the fact that it was easy, you can still you can hear it in the song forever. Yeah. Right. Uh, we have talked about your new book, Music, Lyrics, and Life, a field guide for the advancing songwriter, which I really liked. There's a big section on this on journaling, which yeah. I feel like everyone has got to talk to you about journaling. But I'm just yeah. curious, like I remember professors in college telling me to journal, and it was really later in life that I came to journaling. Yeah. Whenever someone was yelling at me a journal, I was like, fuck off. I don't like you're not gonna get me a journal. Do you get your students to journal when you tell them about the benefits of journaling? Do you think any of them listen listen to you? They do. They, they do. How do you convince them? Not all of them. Not all not, of them. I mean, obviously not all of them. And, you know, we've had, another thing is like, how do you check has been a, another weird thing. And then doubling, how do you check during COVID? So that, that's been like really hard. So there has been an honor system with that. But I have to say- Everybody's well, lying to you, by the way. Nobody, everybody's saying they journaled, even the ones who didn't journal, they're all lying to you. I mean, if they did it, great. During the semester, they may very well be lying. There are also people in the in the class who already journal, so they're like, "Awesome, I do this anyway," you know. But I mean, there are moments uh, where years down the road, um, Delwater Gap. If you're familiar with uh, the band, um, I went to see Delwater Gap at uh, at Elsewhere in Brooklyn, and Holden Jaffe, the uh, lead singer, was a former student, came up to me. He's like, "That journaling, man, I still do it." Was the, I didn't I didn't really do it during the semester, but I do it now, and it's awesome, you know. Uh, so like, when I know that they're not lying because they don't have to lie, there's no grade, there's no cash payout, there's no uh, reason. Uh, that makes me feel really good because it's just it's a ritual, you know, and it's also a document of your time, you know. And you can go back to it when you're dry or in a rut. You can go back to whatever you've been highlighting and work on it, pick it up again. You know, I love what you say in the book about how morning pages don't have to be done in the morning, which is very re relieving to me because I always yeah. feel this stress, you know, I've, you know, of course you do the artist way. She yeah. swears that you have to do in the morning. Sometimes it's the end of the day and I go, shoot, I didn't do my morning pages. Can I do them now? It's 10 o'clock at night. Like yeah. it's a, uh, I, I kind of like that you said that it was, it was a little relieving, I think. Yeah. I, I think it's great. I mean, when I, got the artist way also um i was single and not uh much of a player so i spent a lot of time you know 
at bars. I was like, I was the jerk at the bar or like at a table with like a glass or something and my my notebook, you know. So it was like company for for a while too. So I would do it any all hours, you know, two a days, three a days, you know, <laughs> like that I, kind of. I find like now I go through periods where I get really into journaling and then I feel like it takes a back seat. <laughs> And I feel like I'm super into meditation. Like I meditate twice a day. I work yeah. out. I have a guitar practice because I'm not a full-time professional guitar player. So I feel like I have to make time to play guitar. I'm like, when do I find time to journal? So then I think about, you know, you brought this up, which I think the same thing is like object writing is kind of like a faster journaling. journaling. Yeah. You can do it in 10 minutes. But I really struggle to find the time. And I know you're going to say, you know, if it's important, you know, that's not an excuse, find the time. But I feel like I really struggle to find the time to journal. Is that yeah. fair to say? Like, 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 how do I fit it in? Yeah, it's it. Well, it's hard. It, it's it's really hard to do. But you're finding time for meditation, which to me, I now I'm amazed because like I've tried to do that. I went to the David Lynch Transcendental Meditation School or whatever, and like I tried and I read Catching the Big Fish, and I I, I really was like meditation is going to be my thing and i can't i keep falling asleep you know so like well you know i when i took my meditation class i did it when i was a freshman in college and i did like a week-long meditation class and she said if you fall asleep that's just your body telling you you like you need to be rested or <laughs> like uh, my body just was yells like daily like because i i still try it and uh I, I uh, you know, I put a little timer on my phone, whatever, 20 minutes, right? Or whatever it yeah. is. And it wakes me up. And I'm like, dang, I did not do that right. That was not. But right. I feel like there are so many, I can, I can like point to things that I've done or ideas. I've like, when I get really into journaling, I always have brilliant ideas. Like it's weird that I'm not motivated to do it more because I always like ideas of shows that I've put on creative projects that I've done, people I need to call to say hello to, like all this stuff comes to me in my journal. I can't explain it. Like I should be so overly motivated to do it, but I, I, I like right now in particular, I'm just not in the routine of doing it. Absolutely. I, I have, um, you know, articles in there. I have like big plans, I have big plans. I should just call it big plans, you know, but like, uh, you, what's interesting is the journaling is it catching you catching those ideas as they're going past you. And when you're not journaling, those ideas are still going, they're still going past you. So there's like, it's like a big fishing net and you're just like, you know, I, it's like, I really should go fishing more. You know, <laughs> it's like, I really want, uh, I, I want to prioritize it, you know, and then the going back, you know, and understanding like what, uh, what the big idea is, what the big plan actually is. Um, but it's nice to have it down in a fixed form. That's the first thing I try to tell my students. You know, you're a cloud of ideas. You think you're a DJ. You have no idea what you are. Start writing things down. And years go by, and next thing I know, I'm writing them recommendations for law school. I'm writing them recommendations for cooking school. They're going to Brussels, Belgium for linguistics or what, you know, whatever. They're going all the different things. But it's because they found it through the introspection that uh, journaling and just sort of in interior thinking uh, created, you know? So that that's also fun. I mean, like if people come to my songwriting class and then end up not being a songwriter, I'm like, nice, <laughs> good work. <laughs> You say this, you say like, well, like, you know, a physicist teacher or what do you use uh, in, in high school? Yeah. Probably none of their students are going to go on to become professional, oh. you know, physicists totally. or whatever it is. Yeah, um, which is which is totally fine because like those properties are transferable. Those skills are transferable. You know, it's just like I have my daughter, I'm like tutoring her in math or whatever. And she's like, why do I need to know this? It's just math. And I'm like, you're going to need to know math. If you buy a cup of coffee, you're going to need to buy no math whenever you start drinking coffee. Better. You know, so, and it's the same with everything. Why would I need to know journaling? Why would I need to know physics? Why would I need to know philosophy? And like, and then after a while, it's like, oh, you're pulling from everywhere, you know? Um, so it's a toolkit. I love what you say also, treat yourself to the good grip, 
referring to pens <laughs> when you're buying pens. I, I like that. I mean, this is, I look, look at this. This is a cheap big pen right here. That's yeah, a good pen. Look at that. It's got a nice rubber grip on it. Treat yourself uh, to the grip. That's those are words to, to live by. I right. think. It's, it's really nice to be a writer and not like, you know, someone who likes horses or something because like, it's so much cheaper. Right. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna do something so cheap, go the extra 25 cents and like get the grip, you know what I mean? Get the nice paper. Don't get the crappy paper. You know, this don't, is what I, I always journal out of these, these, uh, these that's handsome. This is, that this is, is what I use religiously. That's a handsome, handsome notebook right there. I need a good grip though. You know, the other thing about this book, uh, <laughs> You know, this book was written by a songwriter, I think, because it has a great opening line, which is basically, I was born ass first, is the first thing you read in this book, which yeah. really pulls you in, really hooks you. I mean, <laughs> were you laboring over that opening line as a songwriter? I know you tell your students the importance of the opening line. Yeah. Were you like, this book's got to have a fucking amazing opening line? Like, I can just imagine how stressful that is. Yeah, that was not the first first line. Uh, that was, uh, you know, a, re a revised first uh, first line. Um, I I came to the uh, introduction a little bit later, um, and it was through journaling. I was journaling one morning, and I was like, you know what, we, I need to, you know, think of it like a like a, a thriller, like like a, the born identity, or like you know something like that. Like there needs to be a car crash at the beginning. There needs to be like, you know, the murder or sex scene or explosion or apocalypse or some you know some version of that um and then we can uh move from it and you're totally right i mean i talk about first lines with the students and like that's one of the first things we talk about moving from a draft to revision it's like let's look through this entire lyric and see like is there a better first line a more telling first line uh, a more loaded first line that will be like, oh, I think I will stick around, you know? Um, so, yeah, those kind of things are really um, places we stress, you know, the first line. Um, and often if you, when they look at their favorite songs, the first line actually a lot of times will pop, you know, and they'll be like, oh, I totally remember it now. Um, yeah, so we get to reverse engineer that. Are there any examples of songs you always bring in that you always think, you know, that's a great opening line? Uh, um, yes, I, I was on a show a couple of days ago. We were talking about this um, and it was like a classic rock thing. So the guy was like, the screen door slams. That was the uh, Bruce Springsteen. Like Bruce Springsteen has lots of them. You know, I heard Clem was a big baseball player or whatever. Like, I can't remember like, uh, but he's got like a ton of uh, a ton of those. Um, but now, uh, some of them aren't coming to me. Uh, they're not coming. Not to, to put you on the spot. You never think I, of them. I think of, you know, I, I can't think of one now, but like, you know, we'll go to the top. And here's the reason why I can't really remember them, because and I think it has a lot to do with TikTok, uh, because uh, going to the top of the Billboard charts and such. Um, people aren't opening with an opening line. They're opening with a chorus. So, you know, the big chorus would be like, you know, stay uh, or, or whatever, the, those kind of things. Um, and it becomes the opening, the, the opening line of the chorus becomes the big thing, right? Like, I hope you're happy in hell or whatever. Um, uh, so those have a different, uh, they have a different use, you know, uh, they're more like, generalizing and making the big picture and then you get into the verses so. it's kind of like a singer songwriter thing at this point to have a killer opening line that just pulls like it's sort of in trend for the singer songwriters i feel like right now it's it's a little bit there and um so the opening line if the opening line is the opening line of the chorus then generally it would be the the title setting right 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 so right. the title setting would be the first line and like the title setting would be the first line of the chorus and maybe the last line of the chorus. The, um, the song I use every semester is Since You've Been Gone by Kelly Clarkson. What's so, the opening? Here's, here's the, the thing, thing we started out friends. Started out friends, yeah. Okay, so there's a, there's a front first line. I, I, uh, yes, that's, that's a great first line. That is a great uh, first line. 
Right. Why does that pull you in? Because it's just an opening of a story. We all know that. We all know where it's going. It, right. It's genius, but, actually. It's a great opening line. Yeah, because here's the thing. Like, is we're already in a conversation, right? We've already started a thing, and she has to boil it down. So here's the thing. Uh, it also creates a relationship between the listener and the singer that is uh, conversational, right? So now we're like buds, sort of, you know? And uh, and she pulls us in. We started out friends as like, uh oh, you know, I bet we didn't end that way, right? So there, it's a very loaded line, and um, it follows Max Martin and Dr. Luke follow the formula known as like melodic math, like to absolute craziness. You know, it's an amazingly constructed song because um, he follows it up. You know. Uh, the second verse begins, how can I put it? You put me on, you know? So it's like, it's the same, here's the thing, how can I put it? You know, um, there's a geometry and an architecture, um, but it's conversational and it, it comes at, another thing is that it comes after the one. I don't know how far you wanna go with all this, but like- The, it, the melodic math too, and if you've read the, I think it's called the, is it the Song Factory or the, the Song Machine by Des yeah. Seabrock, where he talks about, yeah. um, uh, Dennis Pop being Max Martin's yeah. mentor and really figuring out that that math stuff. It's yeah. kind of fascinating, actually. It's amazing. It, yeah, it's fascinating. And it has like a it has a real um, history to it, you know? Right. Like there were people talking about this back in the day when music was like considered like physics or, or math. It was like so music was like was like math that where you're unaware that you're counting, you know? Um, so and yet we are still counting, you know, and, 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 but it's in patterns that we're counting. Uh, so melodic math makes a lot of use of that. And then like people like Radiohead uh, distort it completely. So they'll take a song and then they'll go out of four, four, and they'll go into five, four or seven or something like that in order to disorient you. Right. Cause they're kind of disorienting and that's what they want. Right. They want you to not know where the one is, you know what I mean? Uh, be, so that you will feel dystopian and sort of like from the future and, you know, where everything's weird and maybe there are robots and maybe, yeah, robots, right. you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. I think it's interesting too. They talk about this in the book, how being that English was all those guys' second language, that the math was more important than, any, like there's an Ace of Bass song that yes. uh, Dennis Popper where the line is like afraid of catching tan or afraid of, or, or she's, she's catching tan, which yeah. isn't really English or she's getting tan. Or, right. or, but for some reason, the melodic math was just better, or yeah. that was more important than the actual, you know, literalness of the lyric. Yeah, it's the sound of the vowels instead of the meaning of the words. You know, like right. Uh, um, I feel like the the Get Back documentary, the Beatles uh, documentary, you get a lot of that. You get a lot of like Paul and John, like just mucking around, looking through magazines and trying to find vowels and and words that work. Uh, and it's not like they're not telling a story per se yet. You know what I mean? It yeah, right. That at a later sort of moment. Very different than Walker Hayes, I'm sure. You know? Yeah, right. That's the is that required watching for all your students? Are you gonna make everyone watch that or parts of yeah. it? I feel like if you were to watch just the first uh, part, the, the first installment or whatever you would get, I think all the, you would miss some amazing things, whatever, but like you would get the sense, uh, including the tedium, you know, of writing songs and of like- That was the best part. The parts that were like kind of boring. <laughs> Everyone loves the boring parts. It's so funny on, the, on this. And he was such a genius to make that, to do that, right? Like every impulse is to like not make it boring, but he's like, the boring is the thing, right? Um, it's part of like the the, breadth of the album and their careers you know like I remember I, I in college I uh, had a class in English uh, in, in American literature and the, the the professor was like Moby Dick has to be that big because it's about a whale in the ocean so the book has to like be part of that it has to look like it and feel like it and I remember hearing that for uh, Dylan's 17 minute uh opus that that came out what was it this year or last yeah year? right right um same ideas you know like the, but the tedium and the boredom and the just eating t 
toast so much toast you know and like I I really I got like the creepy like oh my god I'm in the rehearsal studio kind of feel which was amazing yeah and it was just like it was boring to watch but it was amazing to sort of see that like nothing great is done in in half an hour like it was amazing to say that like this is how like you think of them just like you know regurgitating this stuff like it's nothing but they were they're so mortal looking in in that video yeah. it, you know it, yeah. and they're they're just kind of putting in the work yeah they're still working on get back you know and then it flips into some old chuck berry tune and that yeah. was the other thing about it was like wow they know a lot of songs yeah but, yeah you know and so that's really interesting and i feel like other songwriters a lot of songwriters don't do that because they didn't have to work like a cover band. You know what I mean? Like, right. Uh, and like fill hour after hour of stuff and get these things in their heads. Um, but like, they'll take breaks and play like four or five songs and they all know the words. They all know the chords. They don't mess up a lot at all. You know, that's really weird to me. Um, but it comes from their days, you know, working, you know. That's um, the that's what Malcolm Gladwell talks about in Outliers when he yeah. says you know that by the time they record Sgt. Pepper's, they already they already had ten thousand hours playing in clubs doing covers that sure you know I guess I don't know bands don't do that anymore maybe they do I don't know um, but this, I talked for the book I talked to producers and producers um, like Jay Joyce a Nashville uh, legend right, of course yeah yeah so I talked to him for a while and he's like you know man. Uh, it's really hard to get a good take now because of COVID because no one's touring and no one's playing night after night after night. So I was like, so what happens? He's like, we play and play and play, but it's in the studio instead of like, you know, in Iowa or wherever they're supposed to be playing. Um, but he's like, he, he, he was like, I'm getting this sense right now that like people are out of shape, you know, and that, I thought that was, really interesting and like to your point like the Beatles were in shape you know when this was going on anyway I do feel that way too like when I even it's weird how you play and you play and you play in your in your apartment and you rehearse yeah. two to three gigs in a row blow you up as a guitar player in terms of your skill yes. level yes. like in a way that you just you I don't know if it's a focus yeah. thing if you're like I'm performing I've got it but like when I play two or three gigs, instantly I feel so much more confident as a guitar player compared yeah. to the hours I spend in my room. And it's not even the the lick library or anything. It's just like a feeling or just a, a sense of where the time is. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it do, you get rusty really quick if you're off, if you're not yeah. playing live with a band. Right. It's like, the, it's also just like the interplay. Like there's no second take. There's no like, you know, the, the, whatever, the, the beer crashes at a certain moment, like, that's it. This is what we got for this particular moment. There's so many TikTok shredders, right? And like Instagram shredders. I really wonder, like, <laughs> what would some of them do, like, in a live setting? Like, they're blindingly talented, you know, and like, you know, technical and everything. But like, it's a different, it's a different instrument when you're live. Yeah, a hundred percent. Uh, the other thing that I really liked about this book, Music, Lyrics, and Life, by the way, a field guide for the advancing songwriter. Really fun read, really great read if you're a songwriter. Also, if you're not a songwriter, there's some good just like life checks or just like like things in this book that will yeah. make you be like, yeah, maybe I should quit my job or get off the fence. There's a great chapter about getting off the fence if you're <laughs> on the fence. Um, but but I was like, like, you go on this whole tangent about how like, don't reinvent song structure. Don't reinvent the wheel. So I interviewed a wheel maker. I'm like, what is going on here? And then you yeah, go interview yeah. a wheel maker at like Goodyear or whatever. And you really get into the, you know, why is the wheel? I mean, what are you doing here? Like, this was like my favorite part of the book. You interviewed like a fly yeah. fisherman, like all this random stuff. That was yeah. really great, right? <laughs> yeah, it was like, well, those those skills are, are very much interchangeable. And they all come from real good questions from the students and you know it's like they want to innovate they want to be different they want to like you know move the art forward and everything and so what they think is i'm going to take the form and i'm going to smash it and like make this crazy new shape you know whatever and my thought to them is that that's a little bit misleading i think because um people have done that already 
everyone's broken everything, but no one has done the thing that you're doing in your journal ever in the history of ever, right? So there's your spot to do things. So I kind of have to prove that logically, right? So like, if I say don't reinvent the wheel, they're like, like you said, they're like, go to hell, you know? <laughs> um, so I went to, uh, I happened to meet a, a mechanical engineer who works for Goodyear Tires. And I was like, look, I'm gonna ask her, I'm gonna ask someone who works in wheels. Like, talk to me, like you're making new wheels all the time. If anyone knows wheels, it's you. Uh, um, what are you, what are you doing? You know, are you, uh, how are you innovating? You know, and, and she was like, you know what? You have a circle, which is the form, right? The primary form within that innovation is endless, is literally endless. And then she went through all of this, like whatever the composites and whatever you can do, I was kind of thing. And I was like, so, okay, fine. So what about squares, right? Like. Did anyone ever think like Considered maybe square. right? Maybe there's just like a shape problem. And of course, she's looking at me like you're an idiot again, right? So, um, because of course that's not going to happen. Why? Because there are specific laws. You know, there's physics again, physics. Um, so, I I took that and I take that to the students to be like, look, here's. Here's where you should go. Billie Eilish is not breaking the internet. You know, she's not breaking the, the song form. What she's doing is, is unique in voice, you know? And it's not, and it's not, it's the same kind of thing that, that Lord did with Royals, right? Real well-constructed pop songs, but like they are individuals. And that's, that's where I want you to focus, you know? And don't make like, you know, triangle wheels uh, because that's, that's not where the real innovation is, you know, and it doesn't roll. <laughs> and it doesn't. Yeah. Right. I always like, there's a great book, um, the secret life of the American musical, which talks about the structure of musicals. Yeah. And one of the things that says in that book is Hamilton basically follows the same structure of a musical as like a Rogers and Hammerstein show. Like the structure of the show is exactly the same, but that's not where it innovates. And it's right. kind of like a, a similar thing. Right. Of, you know, you, you innovate the tread of the wheel. You don't, you don't change the wheel. Absolutely. The wheel is a great thing. Song form is a great thing. And like, I, I, I just feel like there's a lot of articles that are like, oh, songs have changed so much. Well, but no, they haven't. Like they're getting so much shorter. I'm like, have you seen a Beatles song? Like they're like a minute 50. Like, what do you, you know, we're still getting there. You know, we're, we're, we're still at like, I took the monthly.com course with uh, Ryan Tedder. Uh, you know, just like a masterclass to like, yeah. see, just to see like what's going on. I've, I've seen that. I know that is. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I was like, oh, that's interesting. He's, he's an interesting person. I, I'll, I'll just take it and see if there's anything that I can pass on or learn from. And he was like, yeah, 250. I shoot for like 250 for a song. And I'm like, great. That's a minute more than a Beatles tune or like the early Beatles tunes. Um, and when I started doing this uh, teaching, 2013, 14, or something like that, 315 would be probably the thing. So yes, they are getting shorter, but the structure is the same because our brains are the same. You know, like what we love is the same. You know, we, we love repeated information um, and, we, and we love things that stick in our heads, especially when it is repeated by the writer, you know? So that kind of stuff continues. Um, regardless uh, of, of the timing and, and the technology and everything else, so. Yeah, right. I love this point that you made too, which I thought was really funny that I've never really thought about where you talk about how everyone says music's a universal language, but it's really not because if you go to any yeah. arena show, you see these guards in the front that are staring back at you that you, you said they're, they're, they're looking like bored dads, which I've yeah. never really thought about, but the, I was like, that's so true. Like you always have like these 10 people in the front that are, are not moving to the music at all. They're so bored. What, what did you mean by that? What was the point you were trying to make there? But that is like, um, they are, they're like bored deaths. They're complete buzzkills. When I go to, if I, when I go to a show, you know, everyone's freaking out and they're pushing forward or whatever, this kind of thing. And these dudes could be at a hockey game. They could be like the guards, like the security dudes. Uh, they could give, they could care less just as long as no one is like, I don't know, getting trampled or whatever. Um, they could care less. 
even with stuff that I feel like I can't live without, there is always someone who can absolutely live without it, you know? Um, so I've never actually seen music be a universal language. I've, I've seen it be divisive. I, I've seen diss tracks. I've seen, you know, there's the whole, the voice, American Idol, and all that kind of thing. It's a competition, you know? So they, it's literally oppositional, you know? Um, and it's, so that to me is, you know, it's not, it's not universal. So what is, you know? And what I come to in the, in the book is that silence is the thing that is actually universal. And you're a meditator. Um, it's consensual. It can be broken by anyone in the room, right? It's also incredibly powerful. Um, and when everyone's involved in, in this silence, it works like a chorus works. Same idea. It, it binds everyone. Um, I, I looked into some, while I was writing the book, I looked into some silent retreats, like the two week thing. Oh my God. I, <laughs> yeah. I spoke to a friend who was like, I went and I, I was there for like six days and like, I had a, uh, psychotic break basically. And I, I left, but then I was like, I had to go back and he went back and he, I guess he finished it, but geez, he was just like, it sounds easy. Just don't say anything. <laughs> it's, he was like, it was brutal. It was really, it was like a, you know, like an ayahuasca sort of uh, journey kind of thing for him. So I didn't go, um, uh, but I have continued to, to, to think about it and also to think about how silence works for the, for the students, you know, as far as like editing down towards silence, towards like, what are the elements? What are the things that are worth talking about? Um, as opposed to, you know, an array of kind of cool things, you know, which I have to say is like an outgrowth of endless track space on DOS, you know, on Logic or Pro Tools or Ableton or whatever. Like you can, you can go forever, you know, uh, and, you know, pairing those things back, I think is what really, really helps to focus on the things that you actually do end up saying. Yeah, silence is silence is really cool. You know, um, I love John Cage. I think that all that stuff is super crazy. Yeah, right. Um, you know, not that anyone you know that's not very pop, but like, <laughs> I still really enjoy it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, music, lyrics, and life—a field guide for the advancing songwriter. I really love this book. I think everybody's got to go check it out. Great insight, also on just like rhyming. There's a great Stephen Sondheim. Oh yeah. Uh, quote in there, which I was reading and I was, you know, it's just cool to read that obviously because he passed away recently. Um, yeah. Really great stuff. Great interviews, great interview with Paul Stanley, great interview with Shane McAnally, Paul Stanley talking about how uh, the head of his record label, Casablanca saying we need a defining song because none of this makes any sense. Right. And, uh, and him going off and writing rock and roll all night, not to give away the ending. Um, right. It just really cool stories, really great stuff. Great stuff about journaling. Like the morning pages, they don't have to be done in the morning. They can be no. done in the evenings. Is the uh... yeah. some some great uh, Dolly Parton stuff in there as well? Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. I, she's just a national treasure, you know. So um, absolutely couldn't agree more. And yeah. this is and so this book. I was trying to understand because this book was. I've heard you say you you've written some books that were horrible. Yeah, uh, you didn't go anywhere. And then someone said, okay, this is half good. Get, was this the book that was this? What did you turn this into someone? Did they say this is half good, get rid of the bad stuff and, and writing this was this, was this that book or was, was this the next? No, book? this is half of that book. This is half of that book. Yeah. There's a, there's a, well, I, I bring up in the, in the book, like that, how common it is to get to the second draft and not be done. Right. And having to deal with the fact that you're not there or maybe you're even in a worse place, you know. So in order to like commiserate with them, like I, I, I brought up the journey that this book went through, which is like all these different crazy sort of drafts uh, about theater, about, you know, whatever, all these different types of things to where I finally got to a place where I had a book about like I'm teaching a class and like I'm telling them what to do. And then in the next uh, chapter, I'm like absolutely doing the wrong thing and learning the lesson that I just taught, 
right? So that was like the hilarious idea. And um, I brought it to somebody and they were like, yeah, the half where you're actually talking about like what to do was great. Your particular life is of no interest. <laughs> so I'm like, and I was like, okay, thank you for the feedback. I heard half full and not half empty. And now I'm going to fill the other half, which is what I did. And then I got a book deal, you know? So she was right. I love it. Have you seen, yeah. uh, have, have you seen Tick, Tick, Boom? I um, saw Tick, Tick, Boom originally. Originally? Yes. And I saw it on stage. With Jonathan doing the, uh, playing with him doing it as like a reading kind of, or not a reading. No, I don't what? think, he, I'm not sure he was uh, with us at the time, but, uh, but I did see it, uh, you know, a, a New York staging of it. It was, it was really cool. Very um, cool. Yeah, I was it, almost in rent also, by the way. You were almost in rent? <laughs> I was. Oh my, God. how? <laughs> I don't bring that up very often. Uh, well, you know, I was playing in the in the city and I heard about the audition and I started auditioning, you know, and I uh, call back, call back, call back, call back, call back, call back, all the way up to Michael Greif, who was the, the director. Yeah, right, of course. Uh, and I, right before I went in, somebody said to me, you know, if you get this, you're going to have to do rent every night. And it, that was all I needed to hear. I decided not to do something loud. I did like a ballad or something. And they're like, oh, yeah. yeah. And then so they went with somebody. They went with somebody else or whatever. No. Um, yeah. But like, wow. I, I think I lucked out. I'm not totally sure. I mean, I would have, I would know Adina Menzel, I guess, you know. <laughs> you would be typecasted as that person from Rent, though. Is maybe. The, maybe. Yeah. I just, I love that show, though, in the movie, how he like spends his entire, you know, 20s writing this place, Suburbia, and yeah. ends up being a failure. And then his agent just says, you, you just need to write the next thing and then write something after that and then write something after that. Like, yep. that's, yep. that's the way, that's how you do it. Yeah, that's what I tell my that's what I tell my students, and that's what my agent tells me. You know, like this book is done; it's been out for three weeks. Uh, it's in a second printing, and I'm like, "What do I do?" And she's like, "The next one." The next one. That's well, it. stay <laughs> tuned. Like, there I, may be another one coming. Audience, I, and I have listeners. no idea. I was like, "What is it about? <laughs> tell me. Tell me about this thing that I'm supposed to do." She's like. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, yes. Yeah, so get to the next one. Okay. Get to the next one. But buy the first one, Music, Lyrics, and Life, A Field Guide for the Advancing Songwriter. Uh, Mike, have we left anything out here? What's been unsaid here? Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, I hope that it's a lot of fun. Um, and that was the first thing that I wanted. I, I asked my editor, I was like, dude, first, is it funny? Uh, is it entertaining? It comes from talking to uh, college students for seven to eight years and keeping them entertained. You know, so hopefully some of that is uh, is in the is in the fabric of this of this book. Um, also, there's stuff in the back. There's like a there's a, I call it summer reading for some time later in life, and it has lots of other reading. Like this is an endless process. There's no goodbye, right? There's no end. Um, and so my book is like a, a dot in a very long line. So there's like, you know, 20 or 30 like fantastic books written by others. Um, you mentioned one, actually, I think The Song Machine was one, uh, writing books by uh, you know, Stephen King or Jeff Dyer or Lewis Hyde, or, you know, there's like lots and lots and lots. So it's a really cool uh, list of other books, you know, further reading, you know, so that so that people never never feel dried out you know yeah right and your kids but, love the beatles right which i've heard you say freaks you out like why is it that the kids they still love the beatles right the kids my kids or just your kids, kids. i've heard oh, your kids I, love the beatles and they, that's they weird to you that it still translates to them yeah it's it's really weird and like you know i have a son who's five and he's like don't put on yellow submarine man i'm burned out like, <laughs> <laughs> you're five what are you talking about how did you hear it so many times that you uh, are into it? But it's like, it's in the fabric of the day. It's just in the fabric. 
I don't I don't know where it's in cartoons and it's in it's just it's just everywhere and so it's so easy to hang on to and it's so easy and you see that and get back you see like the insane gift that Paul McCartney has right it's just like he's just singing melodies and you're oh like my God. I, I will never not hear that now you know um so I think it's it's so easy that the kids can pick it up and retain it you know because they were big on melodic math too. Yeah, right. Know? Yesterday is like bing, bang, boom. It's great. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's easy to retain. Yeah. So, that's, so my kids, my kids love it. Mike, thanks for taking the time on this Wednesday afternoon, right before really the holiday. It. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, it was great getting, getting the chance to talk. I'm glad we were able to make this happen. It's really great. Thank you so much. Absolutely, absolutely. Stay well, and uh, hopefully, I'll see you next time. I'm in, uh, I'm in Brooklyn. Please come on over. There you have it, Mike Erico on the podcast. Really great episode. And uh, by the way, the book is called Music, Lyrics, and Life: A Field Guide for the Advancing Songwriter. Check it out on Amazon, wherever you buy books. Really great read. Really fun. Quick read. Very informative. Lots of great case studies. Lots of great interviews. Lots of great wisdom. I mean, I don't know. Kind of kind of everything you want in a songwriter book, if you ask me. So check it out. Music, Lyrics, and Life. A field guide for the advancing songwriter. The Zach Kuhn Show is mixed by Sam Heyman, and our theme music is by Justin Johnson. If you want more content from us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at NashvilleBriefing.com or you can follow us on socials, everything at Nashville Briefing. There we go. Season three off to a banging start. We'll see you next week. Bye.